informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Got a busy show lined up for you here today. Coming up, we are going to talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. He's going to join us uh, coming up after the bottom of the hour to discuss some of his 2024 priorities. Want to talk about the uh, potential of a government shutdown in front of us. We got that top-line funding deal here early in the week. We're going to talk to Senator Grassley about all that and more coming up here in a little bit. Before that, we're going to get an update on the South American crop situation with Dr. Michael Cordonier from Soybeans and Cord Advisor Incorporated. That is coming up in segment two. Also, at the end of the show, I'll have a look at some news headlines, including some thoughts uh, from the National Ag Law Center about new reporting requirements in the Corporate Transparency Act that will affect farmers and other small business owners. We're going to talk about that and other headlines coming up at the end of today's show. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Let's kick things off and talk about the upcoming Iowa Pork Congress happening January 24th to 25th in Des Moines. Joining us for a conversation, she is the president of the Iowa Pork Producers Association. Trish Cook is with us here today on AOA. Trish, thanks for joining us on the show. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today, Jesse. I appreciate it. Well, let's talk a little bit first about the 2024 Iowa Pork Congress. As I mentioned, that's coming up here at the end of the month in Des Moines at the Iowa Event Center, the 51st annual event. Uh, Always such a great event with a lot of information that you guys have to share with seminars and more. Uh, Talk about some of the highlights for this year's Iowa Pork Congress, Trish. Yeah, you're right. The Port Congress is just a couple short weeks away. And looking out the window today with the wintry weather reminds me of often what the weather is like at Iowa Port Congress in Des Moines in late January. But yeah, we're looking forward to having uh, people from across the state come to Des Moines and we can have opportunities to listen to educational seminars. We've got some great keynote speakers talking about how to understand our consumers and how we can uh, market our products to them in a way that they're looking for products. Also, it's been a tough year in the pork industry. We had Proposition 12 from the Supreme Court give us a disappointing decision, as well as really challenging economic times in our industry this year. So we have another keynote speaker that is, that is talking about resiliency in agriculture. And I think all farmers understand resiliency, and it's not just economic tough times, but it's also the mental toll that it can take on folks just dealing with stress in, in your agricultural life. So. Plus, we have the the trade show, which is always exciting, always fun to see the new products. And what I love probably the most is just being around fellow pig farmers and folks we do business with, our suppliers and vendors, because we just have so much in common. It's great to be um, face-to-face and talk to everybody. Well, and uh, you mentioned that trade show and seeing all the new products. And I know I've been to Port Congress many times myself, and it's always uh, it's always fun and amazing, uh, you know, filling uh, the Iowa Event Center there uh, with so many different companies and and really um, looking at a lot of different new products as as we continue to innovate in, in the pork industry. I know that's always, uh, to your point, a, a lot of fun and a great time going through the trade show as well. Yeah, it definitely is. It's it's always just fun to see the energy that people have to get together 
and just to, to reminisce about days of old, like, port, you know, we talk about the 51st annual Port Congress and, you know, just the different products that that show has seen over the 51 years of its existence. Well, I know folks, uh, if they want to get registered for Port Congress uh, and, and things like that and look at the full schedule and seminars and more, iowapork.org, I'm sure that's a, a great place to start, isn't it, Trish? Yeah, it definitely is. And you can get registered online, which will save you a lot of time um, on the day of the show because there's options also to register in person when you get there. But you'll have shorter lines if you're able to go to, as you said, iowapork.org and register online for Port Congress. We're talking with the president of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, Trish Cook. And Trish, you brought up a few things that are going to be at some of the seminars uh, there during Pork Congress. And of course, uh, Prop 12, I know uh, a disappointing uh, result uh, with that Supreme Court decision in 2023. Uh, I'm sure that along with trade overall, uh, you know, looking not just here domestically, but uh, export markets and more, I have to think those are probably going to be not only uh, two of the top conversations with seminars, but probably some of the, the coffee talk, so to speak, amongst producers there at Port Congress, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's definitely true. We are fortunate enough to have um, Dan Halston, who's the president of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's going to be having a seminar on, on Wednesday, the 24th. And trade, as you said, it's huge for our pork industry. It gives us over $60 in value per head marketed. Um, we have free trade agreements with over 20 countries, and we sell billions of dollars of pork on the worldwide market. About 25% of U.S. pork production, sometimes as much as 30, is exported to our international customers. So trade is huge. And you also, we're talking about Eldon's, Eldon McAfee's, um, he has a coffee chat on Wednesday morning of Port Congress. And so he'll talk about all kinds of things, whatever issues people want to bring up, and he, he'll have an agenda of items people don't come up with with other ideas but definitely prop 12 will be on there and i'm constantly talking with folks about you know we all know that the farm bill was delayed from 2023 and hopefully we'll get something in 2024 so we're really looking for a congressional fix for state ballot initiatives like proposition 12 and question 3 in the farm bill um, on the house side gt thompson is committed to getting something in the farm bill and on the Senate side, we've got um, Senator Marshall from Kansas and Senator Grassliner from Iowa also um, working on that. And, of course, all the Iowa elected officials that are, are represented. Hinson is my district representative, and she's gone out of her way to be helpful for us as well as the rest of the Iowa House members. So um, mm-hmm. what I like to remind people, though, with Prop 12 and Question 3, it's bigger than pork. A lot of people are like, oh, I really feel bad for you pig farmers. That really stinks for you guys. But I'm just reminding them that it's bigger than pork. It's, it's about agriculture. These states can come up with rules that could maybe require only grass-fed beef in their state or anything from a farm has to come from an electric tractor, not a diesel engine. So it's really, really big, and it's not just about pork. Um, so that's something that I just like to remind people. Like Pork is who it is right now, but you might be next. No, that's great thoughts. Great thoughts, Trish. One other thing real quick before we run out of time this segment. I know uh, the future of traceability, that is something that we've heard a lot about uh, in the animal industry here in the last year or two. And I know you guys have a seminar on that. That's an important issue, not only for the pork side, but uh, for other folks at animal agriculture as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. There's been a task force that National Pork Producers Council has 
Um, and Dr. Anna Forsyth is going to be leading that seminar. Um, and a lot of it become, comes from our international customers. I talked about how important experts are to our U.S. pork industry, and they're wanting to understand that they can trace products um, where it comes from, make sure it comes from a disease-free area. Um, and a lot of this is because of the fears with foreign animal disease, specifically African swine fever. So a lot of information that can be can learned at that seminar as well from Dr. Anna. IowaPork.org. You can learn more about the Iowa Pork Congress coming up January 24th and 25th at the Iowa Event Center in Des Moines. With that, Iowa Pork Producers Association President Trish Cook, Thanks for the time with us here on AOA today. Appreciate it. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to take a look at what's happening with South America's crop conditions. Dr. Michael Cordotier will join us next here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Great to have you along with us here today on the program. Joining us now, we want to talk about the latest in South America, discuss how things are looking with the Brazil and Argentine crop, as well as some of the impacts we're seeing uh, their issues or not issues have on the markets here in the U.S. and more. Joining us for a conversation, Dr. Michael Cordonier with Soybean and Corn Advisor. And uh, Dr. Cordonier, thanks so much for joining us on AOA today. Appreciate the time. It's, uh, it's always my pleasure. Well, let's dive in. And uh, for starters, we've been hearing a lot about uh, the uh, Brazil crop here and in terms of some of the lack of rain in center west Brazil throughout the month of December. I know they've been getting some rains down there, but some folks have been dropping their estimates for the soybean crop and in turn dropping their corn estimates for Brazil, etc. So get us up to speed. How is the situation in South America right now? Okay, well, Brazil... The planting in September did fine, but then October and November, it got very hot, record high temperatures, uh, dry conditions. Now, the rainfall picked up a little bit at the end of November, and it did pick up in December, but it's been very irregular. Uh, the coverage is, is subpar. It's not like a typical normal rainy season in central Brazil. So planting was delayed. A lot of soybeans had to be replanted. And even some were abandoned uh, because they were just wouldn't pay wouldn't pay to harvest a crop. So this is very very unusual. In central Brazil, you know, soybean planting started in the Cerrado region uh, about the early 1980s, and this is the worst year that's been recorded in central Brazil. So it's been a very extreme year, and everyone to blame it is on La Nina, uh, which usually results in hotter and drier conditions in central Brazil, and extra rainfall in southern Brazil. Well, that's been the case so far in Brazil. So it's been a really unusual year. A oh, very unusual year. As we move forward here and get into 2024, one has to wonder just with how unusual things have been, will there be some delays to Safrina corn planting? What are some of these impacts that we've seen here the last couple of months? Uh, in your yes. your view, how do things look there? Are we going to be looking at delays to Safrina corn planting? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the soybeans are planted late, which means the softening corn will go in late as well. Now, the Monte Grosso Institute of Agriculture Economics, they estimate that may be 6% reduction in the Sauvignon corn acreage in the state of Monte Grosso, which is the largest soybean and corn producing state. Uh, they're the more optimistic of the estimates. The Soybean and Corn Producers Association of Monte Grosso, they think the Sauvignon acreage could be down as much as 25%. Now, corn prices are very low in Brazil. Uh, you don't want to plant it late because you've got a uh, higher risk of low yields, and especially this year because the meteorologists in Brazil say with an El Nino out there, there is a definite early possibility, I should say, of an early end to the summer rainy season. 
typically in central Brazil, you get your last significant rain uh, maybe the first 10 days of May. But when you have a El Nino, you might get your last rain at the end of March or early April, a month earlier than normal. So if you plant your corn late and the rain ends early, you got a big problem on your hand. So I think the acreage for Safinia corn could be down maybe 15 to 20 percent in some areas, but my level of confidence in that estimate is very low. I would just have to kind of wait and see. Well, I know in terms of world supplies of corn especially, and soybeans too, uh, world supplies are pretty robust. So even if we have a little bit less of uh, planted acreage for safrita corn potentially here, still on the global side of things, talk about that a little bit. We, we still have a lot of corn to chew through around the world, don't we? Exactly right. And if you combine Argentina, and a little bit about Argentina right now, uh, their weather has been cooperative. Uh, the soybeans in Argentina are 79% planted, uh, 10% blooming, and the corn is 70% planted with 11% pollinating. So Argentina is going to have a nice recuperation from last year for sure. If you look at all of South America, the corn production this year is going to be about the same as last year. Now, that's including my very low number, much lower than USDA, for Brazil corn. You know, I got Brazil corn at 115, excuse me, 117 million tons, and USDA has it at 129. So uh, I'm much lower than them. So we're, we do have enough corn, okay? And if you look at the soybean side, we got about a 10% increase in soybean production out of South America compared to last year. Now, it's not as robust as what we had thought you know, a couple of months ago, but it's not a catastrophe either. So we do have you no know, adequate supplies, and I think you see that reflected in the markets. You know, the prices have not responded like you would normally think, given the big you know, uh, weather problems in Brazil. So it's a combination of robust supplies and recuperation out of Argentina. And I was going to say, you brought up some of the, the market, the non-response in the markets, and we think about, you know, corn you know, sitting around that 450 to 475, 480 level here, soybeans uh, getting uh, back below 13. I mean, you look at charts, I know uh, some chart damage has been done in, in various degrees here to some of these markets, uh, Dr. Cordonier, and I think about this, too. I think a lot of farmers are a little depressed looking at some of these prices here as we begin a new year in the U.S. Well, speaking of depression, the farmers in Brazil are very depressed because mm. they see their soybean crop a much smaller than what they anticipated. In a lot of areas, the yields are down you know, 25 to 40 percent, and they're saying, whoa, wait a minute, why doesn't the price respond? Well, you know what the market you know, is not responding to those reductions. So they are very upset in uh, in Brazil. Now, in Argentina, you know, they're also upset because, you know, they got a new president in Argentina, and he campaigned on the promise of reducing and eliminating the export taxes on agricultural commodities. But instead, he just sent a package to Congress that would increase export taxes on soybean meal and soybean oil 
increase at 2% up to 33%, which is the same as soybeans. And he wants to increase the export tax on corn and wheat 3% from 12% up to 15 So the farmers in Argentina are upset that, wait a minute, we voted for you because you were going to eliminate the export tax, and now you're increasing it. And he says, be patient. We need the money you know, to pay the bills, pay the IMF. Eventually, I'm going to reduce those export taxes, but it remains to be seen how he does that. Yeah, definitely remains to be seen. I know I'm glad you brought up that uh, that situation in Argentina with the new president because I think that is a, a big thing that could be a, a market driver here as we go through 2024 and see some of his policies. Uh, Dr. Cotadier, before we let you go here today on AOA, uh, final thoughts you would share with, with folks listening in here as we continue to just watch the weather situation in South America, how it parlays itself into the markets uh, here at home in the U.S., uh, what would you reiterate to folks or or remind them as they continue to watch uh, the impacts here on the markets right now? Okay, uh, be patient. Uh, it's just early January. Uh, the, crops, the crop growing season in Brazil is going to be very extended this year because of the extended planting period. So if the weather would deteriorate into July, into January, into February, there is still a potential for a market reaction. Uh, right now, the rains are pretty good in Brazil and in Argentina as well, so the market has kind of calmed down. But we still got a couple months to go for soybeans, and we got several months to go for corn. So there's still time for market reaction, but uh, be patient for the time being. Fantastic. I know folks can learn more online, soybeansandcorn.com. With that, Dr. Michael Cordonier with Soybean and Corn Advisor Incorporated, and we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We'll have you back on the show again soon. Uh, always my pleasure. And once again, Dr. Michael Cordonier with Soybeans and Corn Advisor. Thanks to him for joining us here today on the show. Give us an update on the current weather conditions and growing conditions in South America, Brazil, and Argentina to be specific. I know that is something uh, that we are going to continue to watch closely here through the month of January into February as they get ready to plant their safrita crop, uh, the second corn crop. We'll see how delayed it actually is and uh, what market impacts we could get from the conditions in South America. All right, coming up next, we're going to get an update on what is happening on Capitol Hill as we are now officially in 2024. We got some uh, key deadlines in front of us here in terms of uh, a government shutdown potentially here in January and February. We'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley on the way next here on AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically, and of course, demand building too. You know, they can't go to the Hill 
and lobby, like for more funding for MAP and F&D. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mixed this morning. Corn and beans are down. Wheat is higher. Now, overnight, wheat and soybean futures were higher after both suffered double-digit losses yesterday. The buying did come after prices tumbled, leading some investors who are short the market, likely buying back contracts and closing their positions. Fundamentally, there's not much to be bullish about. Snow is falling in parts of the U.S. southern plains and eastern Midwest, where winter wheat is grown. Demand for U.S. wheat and soybeans hasn't been stellar so far either in 23-24 marketing year. Wheat exports are down 12% year-over-year since the start of the grain marketing season on June 1st, and soybean shipments have dropped 18% since the beginning of the year on September 1st. Corn exports, however, are up 24% from the same time last year. Mixed weather patterns in Brazil are keeping investors on their toes as some heat and moisture stress may creep into central areas of the South American country that will be affecting about a quarter of the soybean and corn areas and 40% of the sugarcane crop. Northern Brazil will be wet in the next five days, but the 6-15 to day outlook period shows a drier pattern. Still, worries about yield in Parana and Sao Paulo will ease in the next 6-15 to days. Corn inspections in the seven days that ended on the 4th were reported at 856,597 metric tons. That's up from 569,857 tons assessed during the same week a year earlier. That's also well above the 402,061 tons inspected at the same point last year. Examinations of wheat for offshore delivery increased to 491,074 tons from 276,433 tons the previous week. Now that's more than double the 209,000 tons inspected in the same week last year. Soybean inspections, meanwhile, came in at 674,749 tons. That's down from the 969,454 tons in the same week last year and well below the 1.46 million tons assessed at the same point a year earlier. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey, <laughs> hey we're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now on Agriculture of America, pleased to have a conversation with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. And Senator, it's great to talk with you again. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. And 
Uh, appreciate the time. Let's dive into issues in front of us here. And I, I, before we talk about some of your 2024 priorities, I want to ask you about the top line funding deal that we got earlier this week between House Speaker Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Schumer. Feels like this is one piece of the puzzle, so to speak, in terms of avoiding some of these upcoming uh, deadlines in front of us. What are your thoughts on that top line number? And is this deal one that could help us avoid a, a potential government shutdown? Uh, the answer to your question, the last one is yes, and that's very positive. Um, and uh, in regard to the former, it's so close to uh, what McCarthy, when he was still speaker and Biden worked out in the spring. Uh, so I don't know whether it's enough difference to talk about. It's a little uh, increase in some areas, decrease in other areas, and some uh, gimmicks that had maybe been left out that I think is a positive move. But I think the overall spending is pretty much in line with what was agreed to earlier. Do you feel like um, your sense, could we potentially have to have another continuing resolution here? I know that first of two deadlines coming up on the 19th, do you think we'll need more time potentially or or not? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm not an appropriator, but I imagine that once you finish what you call the top line, when you put that down into the dollars and cents of every specific line in the appropriation bill, that may take a lot of work. And uh, and if it's all a te technical sort of thing, as opposed to no policy disagreements, it ought to be easy to do. And if it can't be done by January the 19th, it ought to be willing Everybody ought to be willing to give an extension to beyond January 19th because you can't shut down government, cost money to shut down government, cost money to open up government, and government's supposed to be a service for the American people, and you can't serve the American people if you don't, uh, if you aren't operating. Another issue, uh, since the last time you and I talked, the southern border, uh, Senator Grassley, I know we saw in late December those two rail crossings shut down in Texas that disrupted ag trade. Uh, a lot of ag folks were not happy when that happened, but I know overall something that's been a, a larger issue is we do have a crisis at the southern border, migrants flooding into the U.S., drugs like fentanyl flowing into the country, so how can we protect our borders yet keep critical trade routes open into Mexico? Talk about that a little bit. Well, hopefully we don't face that again. At the particular time, uh, I and a lot of other members of the Senate uh, sent a letter to keep the trains running, and we did that to the administration. I'm glad that the administration uh, took uh, my advice uh, to allow egg products to move uh, across the border. Uh, but uh, uh, you can't have that shut down, but it's all related to the fact that this president is not supporting uh, the enforcement of the laws. Not only is it against the law to enter our country without our permission, but it's uh, quite uh, demoralizing to the American taxpayer to see American employees help people get into the country in violation of our law, and, uh, and they're outraged at it. And they're particularly disturbed uh, when you read about people with criminal elements coming into the country and people that are on the terrorist watch list coming into the country. And you know that at the time they're entering the country and you still don't keep them from crossing 
that border, sending back across the border. And uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, when you have criminal elements and terrorists coming to the country, and you know what is the threat to the livelihood of the American people, and the American people are entitled to be protected, and they are being protected. Another topic I want to ask you about, uh, Senator Grassley, I know you worked with Senators Baldwin and Ernst on the Fertilizer Transparency Act to, among other things, study competition in the fertilizer industry. Soon after that bill was announced, we saw a major deal uh, by Coke to acquire OCM's Southeast Iowa nitrogen plant for $3.6 billion. Uh, Doesn't a a deal like that kind of speak to uh, the heart of, of some of what you're looking at with the Fertilizer Transparency Act to study competition in the fertilizer industry, Senator? Yeah, and I think that when we have those sort of mergers, uh, I typically write a letter to the uh, Attorney General Office to make sure that the antitrust laws are being enforced. So I'd like to see that as uh, kind of a micro part of the issues we're bringing up with this study but it's not the major focus of the study because we want the uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture to look at uh, the entire industry and see that the marketplace is working, give us reasons why we have this big increase in fertilizer prices because fertilizer prices are about 34% of all of the uh, input costs that have developed uh, over the last three or four years, uh, that uh, makes it, uh, well, it's a problem we have to take care of in the farm bill to update the 28 uh, prices, that are, uh, 2018 uh, ag farm bill prices that are there to protect farmers aren't high enough. In other words, that's why we hear us talk about we need to put more farm into the farm bill because the uh, safety net for farmers is only about 15% of the farm bill. The other 85% uh, is food stamps. And uh, consequently, uh, uh, you know, it's just not uh, something that is is looking out for agriculture as much as we should be on the agriculture committee. Well, I want to talk about some of your 2024 priorities, and you brought up the Farm Bill, and I'm sure no doubt that is a top priority for you uh, as we get back to work on Capitol Hill. Any updates at all in terms of uh, where things stand with the Farm Bill as uh, we get back to work here in 2024? I haven't had a conversation since early December with the chairwoman of the committee, so I can't give you much of an update there, but I can give you my opinion. If we don't have... uh, Farm bill passed by the time the presidential conventions come this coming summer. Uh, we're not going to get it done. We'll have to have another one-year extension. I think a positive thing to state about that is that Chairwoman Stabenow is retiring from the United States Senate, and uh, she uh, uh, surely will want to get a bill passed before she leaves the United States Senate as part of her uh, legacy. Uh, and uh, and I hope that is the case, and I want to help her do that. Uh, but we're going to have to have a major conversation between her and Boozman, the Republican leader, because all the Republicans on the committee are pushing for more farm in the farm bill. So I won't repeat that, but that's a very essential function. Uh, and in addition, 
to just dealing with the farm bill. I hope it gives us a chance to do several things I'd like to get done is the overall cap on what one family farmer uh, can get from the farm bill. Uh, secondly, uh, over legislation overriding Proposition 12 in California uh, as just uh, two major things I'd like to get in this bill. One final thing, uh, Senator Grassley, before we let you go today, I know something else I think is a lo- important to a lot of folks in rural America is the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, I know that's something you've been working on with Senate colleagues looking at price transparency there. Is that something that's going to be a priority for you as well here in 2024? Uh, of course it's going to be. And, uh, uh, you know, when we started out on uh, price trans, uh, price reducing prescription drug prices, maybe four or five years ago in a bipartisan way, in fact, I got a bill out of the, finance committee on a 27 to nine vote uh, that would uh, do a lot about prescription drug pricing. Uh, At that particular point, uh, there wasn't much interest in it. But uh, now, particularly through bringing PBMs uh, into the process and transparency on uh, pharmacy benefit managers, the middle people in the process that determine price and formularies and who benefits from rebates. Again, when we started that about, uh, let's say, four or five years ago, there wasn't much interest in it. Now we got several bills on PBMs in the Senate. I think four different committees have produced bills, and at least one bill in the House of Representatives. We ought to be able to get things done. But uh, you can't get much done in the United States Senate if you're only going to work two and a half days a week. You know, when I came to the United States Senate, we used to start at 10 Monday morning, uh, go to 4 Friday afternoon. And now we have uh, a situation uh, where we uh, have the first vote 530 Monday night, and then you work Tuesday and Wednesday. And by uh, uh, Thursday afternoon, everybody heads to the airport. So let's hope that we can get some more work done if people uh, work harder. Now, I always say there's enough work for senators to do individually uh, seven days a week, but you can't make policy if you aren't meeting. And that gets you back to the deadlines you were talking about on the appropriation bills. Wouldn't it be easier if we uh, worked harder earlier? then always coming up to a midnight deadline to possibly shutting down the government. Senator Grassley, always appreciate the conversation with you. Thank you for the time, sir. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Be glad to be with you anytime. Always enjoy a great conversation. Thanks again. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley joining us here today on AOA. We'll take a look at news headlines and wrap up the program on the way right after this. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments 
and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is a safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking to Lance Kennington, an animal nutrition specialist with CHS, about bull management. Lance, what is an optimal body score condition target producers should aim for in reconditioning bulls? Bulls should be at least in a body condition score of five and preferably a six at breeding time. And this will ensure that they will be able to pass a breeding soundness exam as well as have enough energy reserves to get them through the breeding season. Bulls that are too thin or too fat have a tough time breeding cows. What should producers consider when developing a bull nutrition program? Yeah, the first thing, ensure that you're using good quality forages that are free of mold. Molds can produce mycotoxins that can interfere with uh, reproductive health. The second thing, be careful to formulate the diet to meet the bull's energy, protein, vitamin, and mineral requirements. Third thing, bulls need a clean, fresh water source. And the fourth thing, limit the amount of starch being fed by using high-quality forages and highly digestible fiber sources like corn co-products, wheat mids, soy hulls, those kind of things. The fifth thing, research has shown that omega-3 fatty acids from flax oil can improve semen quality and quantity and improve reproductive rates. So consider adding that to your program using flax slick tubs from New Generation Feeds or Payback Power Booster. Research has also shown that organically complex zinc, copper, manganese, and cobalt from Zimpro Performance Minerals will improve semen quality and quantity. In winter, bulls need to be provided with protection from the wind and bedding to protect themselves from frostbite, so be prepared to provide that. Well, we've been talking to Lance Kennington, an animal nutrition specialist with CHS. Lance, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program. Uh, appreciate the time with Senator Chuck Grassley joining us here on the show today, as well as uh, Dr. Michael Cordotier from Soybeans and Corn Advisor with an update on South America's crop, and also Trish Cook with the Iowa Pork Producers uh, joining us as well here at the uh, top of the show. Appreciate everyone for making the time to be with us here today. Let's look at news headlines. The Corporate Transparency Act, that kicked in with the new year and creates a reporting requirement that many farmers may not know about. Harrison Pittman, Executive Director of the National Agricultural Law Center, talks about the new law on the books. One I would add would be Corporate Transparency Act. That is going to be a huge one in 2024. It's a federal law. It's a mechanism for helping detect and prevent criminal money laundering and various types of fraud. And it requires business entities, and particularly LLC, to go through a reporting process. That reporting process is not terribly difficult. I'm not going to say it's super simple, but it's not like they're asking for your shoe size and a lot of personal information. The requirement means disclosing information about the beneficial owners of the entities, including single-owner LLCs. Pittman says it's not just for agriculture. You will go through a process. It applies to everybody. When I say everybody, I mean ag and non-ag. It kicks in this year, and so far, every audience we've talked to is completely surprised to hear about it. We began kind of throwing in some presentations last year, and the real kicker is that it does have penalties, including criminal penalties, inside of it. You know, it may be unlikely that a criminal action will be brought in most circumstances, but that is on the books. It is something to be aware of. So a lot of these operations, they may be a general partnership with LLCs underneath it, and people may have more than one business entity and so forth. So this is something that people are going to need to know. A new requirement is expected to impact at least 32.6 million entities. He says the strange thing is no one appears to be telling business owners about the new requirement. The real underlying kicker here is that it looks like it's nobody's job to tell anybody this thing is out there. It's not something people would intuitively know about. Attorneys who do estate planning might not be aware of this. It's something more likely operations might need to go to their attorney or attorneys that learn about it might need to mail all their clients and say, hey, this is something that we're going to need to do. CPAs 
same thing. They may not necessarily know about this reporting, but they need to do it. Different Secretary of State's offices or whatever name they go by, they need to know more about it where they can put it on their website, for example, and give notice to people that there's this filing requirement that's going to follow the business filing. But that's a big one. Well, more information is available online at nationalaglawcenter.org. Well, Missouri Governor Mike Parson has issued an executive order imposing limitations on the ownership of U.S. farmland by foreign nations. According to Chris Chin, director of the Missouri Department of Agriculture, this order specifically prohibits adversary countries from owning farmland within a 10-mile radius of critical military facilities in Missouri. So what the governor signed today was an executive order that made it to where any land transfer for agriculture land within a 10-mile radius of a military installation in the state needs to be reported to the Department of Agriculture prior to the transaction taking place. If the purchaser is on the adversarial country list, as stated by the U.S. State Department, then that needs to be prohibited. So we at the Department of Agriculture would not allow that transaction to take place within a 10-mile radius of the military installation. But it doesn't impact anything outside of that 10-mile radius of a military installation. Additionally, Chin notes that the executive order grants increased enforcement authority to the MDA, the Missouri Department of Agriculture, concerning all prospective land purchases by foreign countries and businesses. Parson says that during the upcoming General Assembly, he will be suggesting to provide the MDA with an additional $200,000 and two full-time employees to help carry out those responsibilities. One of the biggest changes that we're going to see is right now, currently, the way that the rules are written is that they're required to report to the Department of Agriculture any foreign ownership land transaction within 30 days after the sale has happened. And so it's going to change it to where the notification process happens before the transaction takes place. Well, those who advocate for much stricter ownership restrictions often question why a foreign country would have interest in owning American farmland in the first place. There are concerns that individuals with ties to adversarial countries such as China will use the land as a way to spy on the U.S. government. Chin reminds us that from a farming perspective, many of these foreign-owned companies own land within the U.S. in order to properly test the products that they are providing to our farmers. A lot of the countries who sell crop protection tools to our Missouri farmers like to have research that is based in the state for the different climates and growing environments that they have so that they can better serve their farming customers. Also, there are some other companies in other countries that like to diversify their book of business and have, for instance, livestock in multiple regions of the world so that if a disease outbreak might happen, that they have that opportunity to continue to have access to quality genetics, dairy products, things of that nature. Parson also really stressed that we should not view foreign-owned businesses as an enemy, especially those that are owned by allied countries. Because I want to remind Missourians, and especially legislators, that foreign investments by friendly nations brings billions of dollars and thousands of jobs to our state. In the last five years alone, nearly $19 billion has been invested in our state. Nearly 150,000 Missouri jobs are directly supported through foreign-owned Missouri businesses across our state. Missouri has always had and always welcomed foreign investments from friendly nations.
And once again, right there, that is comments from Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Before that, comments with Chris Chin from the Missouri Department of Agriculture discussing the new ban on Ford entities from owning farmland in the state of Missouri and within 10 miles of key military facilities. Well, we are out of time here on AOA today. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to get a preview of Cattle Convention happening in just a few short weeks in Orlando, Florida. We're going to be there on site, but we're going to get a preview of things ahead of time. We're going to talk with Josh White, Senior Executive Director for Producer Education and Sustainability at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We're also going to talk about the rural vet shortage with Dr. Laura Molgard. She is the Dean of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. We're going to get her thoughts on that issue. And we'll also talk with Dr. Sandro Steinbach from North Dakota State University talking about some economic issues and things ahead of us here in 2024. All that and more coming up tomorrow on AOA. We are out of time though today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We will talk to you tomorrow here on AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and Beef. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.